still in Matthew chapter 4 and last week we looked at verses 1 to 11 uh, where Jesus was led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So we saw that it was of the spirit, it wasn't something he just couldn't, you know, oh it's just a shame the devil managed to get in there. No, no he was led up of the spirit to be tempted of the devil and I, I showed, I believe last week how they represent three different kinds of temptation and just to remind you temptation number one was to stop trusting God Jesus answer is to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God number two is to destroy yourself with willful presumptuous sin Jesus answer is to fear God yeah and, and number three was to covet the world and Jesus answer is to worship and serve God only yeah? and, and that's what I believe they they represent there Jesus answered you remember we, we saw this at all three times saying it is written yeah and by the way when Jesus said it is written what was he quoting the Old Testament yeah Jesus Christ was quoting the Old Testament I don't think anyone could look at that story any Christian and say that that wasn't an example to us that was examples and showing us how to deal with that sort of temptation I think that's just a like straight off the cut I think even the newest believer would see that and go okay that's quite interesting each time he, he replies it is written so is there anything wrong with using the Old Testament? Of course there isn't. And of course we know that, don't we? But how often do you hear this sort of rubbish? You hear so many people out there criticising, oh, the Old Testament, that's done away. Jesus Christ quoted it three times to deal with, with temptations of the devil, didn't he? Because as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, yeah? And, and look, all scripture that is, all scripture. And it, you know, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's not just the New Testament. It's not just all the bits that, that you know, well, that, that Jesus Christ verified. Look, if he'd verified every single part of the Old Testament, then the New Testament would be a lot longer, wouldn't it? Okay, and he didn't need to because you know, unless, apart from the things which are clearly done away with, the more law clearly stands, doesn't it? And, you know, he still, still wants us to follow that. He still hasn't changed with any of that. And that's why Jesus Christ quoted it all three times and continues to quote Old Testament as well um, in, the, in, well, in what is the Gospels anyway. So um, let's go to the Lord and the Word of Prayer before we get started with the second half of this, of this chapter. Um, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for... Um, for the great lessons we can get out of the second part of Matthew chapter 4, I pray that you fill me with your spirit and help, help me to pre preach boldly, accurately, help me to preach clearly, help people to, to, to have open ears, open hearts, to, to want to listen as well, to want to not just listen, but, but not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer as well, help them to want to go forward and, and, and apply what they learn today into their lives. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's have a look at verse 12. Uh, Matthew 4 verse 12 reads, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. So John was cast into prison for reproving Herod for marrying his brother's wife. Matthew 14, 4, you don't have to turn there, says, for John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. And like we were kind of talking about, I think last week or the week before, no, the week before, what would have been, what would be the reply as we see in this liberal, wicked Christianity now would be something like, not very Christ-like, John, to be reproving Herod. Who made you judge, John? Yeah, who made you judge of Herod, John? How dare you? You know what, are you sinless, John? Are you sinless? How dare you criticise him? Quoting Old Testament, John, wouldn't it be? Yeah, quote oh, Old Testament laws, John. Yeah, because marrying his brother's wife is adultery. Yeah, and the seventh commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery, doesn't it? Okay, so again, what is, where does that come from? The Old Testament, yeah? Oh, originally, and obviously we know that that's not done away with in terms of the, the moral law there and what that means. Now, who... Do we think that John would have ignored it had it been sodomy? Would, would John the Baptist had, had just, well, well, ignore that bit. Yeah, oh, well, well, Herod's in, it's a bit sodomy. You better not mention that because love is love. Yeah, or what it, I'm sure, I'm sure he would have reproved it hard, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, he, oh, well, yeah, well, you know, that bit, the adultery, yeah, because that's bad. No, because the whole, the whole counsel of God, isn't it? Yeah, and, and John, John, look, John, John had to go out on a limb here, didn't he? Yeah, John went out on a limb and he reproved a king who had some power, yeah? A king that 
as we could see, was known to do some pretty crazy stuff and to make stupid promises and offers to give people up to half their kingdom and the rest of it, as we see later on when he takes his head. But John did what he's told to do, didn't he? And that's to preach the whole word. Yeah, and look, John preached the truth because that's what a preacher of God's word is, is called to do, isn't he? Yeah, to preach the truth. And look, when, if and when people go out from here and... You know, when we have other churches as well, look, if, if you're going to preach the Bible, you've got to preach the whole counsel of God, don't you? Yes. And, and yeah, you have to get that balance right. You're not, your, your job isn't, right, stand here and try and prove to everyone how bold and full of, you know, courage you are and preach just, you know, forget the rest of it, but let's just preach stuff which hopefully will get me into trouble to, like, prove myself week in, week out. But on the other hand, you've got to preach what you feel God wants you to preach, yeah? And you can't, and, and look, that's something that, that a preacher has to do, don't they? Yeah. And everyone here has to know that if you want to preach, you've got to be willing and prepared to preach the whole counsel of God. Yeah. yeah? And look, for, for some, I don't think that's easy. I've spoken to people before who have said, look, that they don't think they, you know, that's why they know they like preaching, but they don't feel like they can preach the whole counsel of God. Well, then it's not for them, is it? Because there are bits of it that, look, Look, aren't going to be comfortable. There are bits of it which it's not. Look, it's not just as you know. I, I'm assuming we don't have any sodomites in here. Yeah, I hope we don't. Yeah, I'm sure we don't. Yeah, that bit's the easy bit. Yeah, that bit's the easy bit. Yeah, okay. You, well, maybe someone's going to start doing a you know a mix up and cut bits of our sermons and everything else. And maybe they will. I don't really know. I don't really care to be honest. Yeah, because at the end of the day, God tells us to preach the whole counsel of God. But there are other bits that aren't so easy. Bits you preach about sins in the church behaviour of people in a church and preach that and you've got to be prepared to do all of that haven't you because if you don't you're going to end up with a pretty terrible church aren't you a church which is running absolutely rampant a church which is just going to be destroyed and look preaching preaching is hard and John the Baptist is just a great example here because he stands up there and he preaches against Herod clearly he's preached to him he's told him either personally or he's preached it from behind his pulpit in the wilderness I don't know, but he's preached it. He's made it clear and he's been banged up in prison for it. But 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And that's, John's doing exactly what, what Paul later tells Timothy he must do as a preacher, yeah? Well, one of those doctrines is that adultery is wicked. As are all the other serious sins in the Bible that God commands a death penalty for. Yeah, they're wicked sins. And people will try and mock, don't they? And go, ah, you know what, smiting your parent. Yeah, that is wicked, isn't it? That would be absolutely wicked if a child or adult smited, hit, struck their parent. That is wicked. And yes, that does deserve the death penalty. And it might be so against our nation now. It might, it might it's so against what, what our wicked world teaches. You know, like somehow that's not a big deal. And what, you'd really kill? Yeah, look, if everyone respected that, then I'm sure there'd be a lot less smiting of parents, wouldn't there? Cursing thy father and mother. That is a serious sin, isn't it? That is a serious sin which would have got the death penalty and too right. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, you'd have a lot more respect around children in this nation and other nations if that law was still in place. Because people look at it and go, oh, you, you, you want to put in the death penalty for adultery? Yes, I do. Yes, I, 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 I would love it if our nation, if our government enacted every single one of God's laws. Amen. Yeah, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Is it going to happen? No. Would it be a shock to the system for everyone in this nation? It sure would. Yeah, yeah, sure. They're going to look at it and go, how on earth could you? But I'll tell you what, they could soon get in line, wouldn't they? They would soon get in line. I'll tell you what, kids would soon not be cursing their parents, wouldn't they? If they thought that they're going to have, you know, they're going to end up being dragged out and stoned in front of everyone. And I'll tell you what, people would soon quickly stop trying to buddy up with the so-called friendly sodomite, wouldn't they? Who aren't friendly, by the way, in case you're sitting there going, oh, but they, they just look so, so innocent. Will and Grace. You know, they're just such friendly, lovely people. Like, no, they're vile. They're disgusting. They're psychopaths. Yeah? Yeah. The media love to promote the very camp little skipping around one because, you know, that looks harmless. How on earth could, how could you have a problem with every girl's best friend? Yeah? Who wouldn't want to be best friends? They're so funny, aren't they? They're so cute and quaint and everything. No, they're vile. They're disgusting. And for everyone like that, there's one that would, would do, and I'll tell you what, even those ones would do anything that they could get away with. Okay? And look, 
Although, and, and that's not the only death penalty sins. There, there are quite a lot of death penalty sins. I've also done a good sermon on that recently yeah. uh, at Faithful Word. And look, there's a lot of death penalty sins, yeah? And every single one is for good reason because God knows best, yeah? And yeah. look, yeah. adultery is one of those, though. And adultery is a wicked sin, yeah? It is a wicked sin. And look, at the end of the day, he should have been put to death, Herod, shouldn't he? Should have been put to death, and so should that woman. Okay, they didn't, but John still reproved them. John didn't have the ability to put them to death, but he still reproved them. And that's what we're called to do, aren't we? So, yeah, I can't put every sodomite to death. We don't call for anyone to do that other than the government. We're calling that the government should do that. We're not call calling for vigilante squads. We're not trying to preach anyone here to go and do the same. But we're still going to preach it, aren't we? Because we're told to preach the whole counsel of God. Yeah, because it's the truth. Exactly. So, now, we've just jumped forward, though, in Matthew's Gospel. So, in case anyone's wondering here, because he's talking about John the Baptist um, being arrested here. Now, in case you're wondering, and I'll just give you a quick kind of recap where we would have got to in John's Gospel. And we, have, we did go through the Gospel of John as a church as well. So... Andrew and another disciple and Simon Peter we saw first meeting Jesus and remember that in a second then Philip and Nathaniel this is in in John chapter 1 the marriage in Cana of Galilee in chapter 2 Jesus going to Jerusalem for the Passover whipping them out of the temple it's a great great bit of scripture there isn't there uh, Nicodemus coming to Jesus John chapter 3 Jesus disciples baptizing in Judea then he travels to Galilee and meets a woman at the well on the way yeah then we get to this point now Okay, so that's happened now in between basically the baptism, the wilderness either side of that, I would say probably that came straight before, but again, there's a couple of views on that. Then we get to here, verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt at Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and Nephthalim. Now, this is the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's about as far as you could be from Jerusalem, pretty much, yeah. It's like about an 80-mile journey. And bearing in mind, they ain't driving down there, yeah. They're not riding horseback, in case anyone's thinking that. They're, they're basically walking everywhere, okay. 80 miles is a fair old trek, isn't it, yeah. You see why he stopped for, for a break at that, that well at Sychar, I think it's called, isn't it? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah's prophet, this is verse 14, saying, the land of Zabulon and the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Now, this is from Isaiah chapter 9. Yet, and you don't have to turn there, but yet again, another prophecy of Jesus Christ being fulfilled. Now, Galilee was this northern region, which was formerly land. This is what it's talking about, Nephthalim and Zabulon. This is land inherited by the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, okay? Now, later there were 20 cities of Galilee given to Hiram, king of Tyre, by Solomon. I think that's why, again, that's my opinion, why it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. And... I would then say with that, it, it probably then had a more mixed population, okay? So he gave 20 cities to, to Hiram, king of Tyre, okay? This wasn't a, a, a Jew or, or anyone of Israel at, the point, at that point. Okay, then it's known now as, as, as Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, Hiram wasn't happy with the 20 cities, if you remember that story. We're not going to go there for sake of time, but Galilee seems to be disrespected by others in the region, I believe. So you don't have to turn there, but Mark 14, 70, it's talking about uh, when Peter's denying Christ, and he denied it again, and a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. So there's obviously some giveaway as well about the Galileans. Probably how we look at Northerners, maybe, you know? You know, they're just... <laughs> you can just tell they're Northern, can't you? Yeah, but a lot of the time you don't even have to talk to them. You can just tell they're Northern, can't you? And it's probably that with the Galileans. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of messing a little bit there. But there's obviously some difference there, isn't there? Um, but, look, the people there, it said, were blessed with that great light, which was the Lord Jesus Christ, OK? So regardless of whether they're looked down upon or not, Verse 16 says, The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. He was that great light, wasn't he? John chapter 1 verse 9 says of Christ, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. What an advantage to have Jesus Christ dwelling there, preaching, soul winning. And he, was, he spent a long time up there as well. And, and by the way, that's the way we should look at it when we move town, shouldn't we? 
Shouldn't we look at that when we move towns? It because you know you can look at it and go, you know, they're not going to like it there and everything else. And oh, when we're when we're in Wickford and we're preaching the gospel there, we're not going to be popular. Yeah, we might not be popular, but I tell you what, what a blessing! What a blessing for that town it's going to be, and what a blessing we've been for South End, haven't we? Amen. Haven't we been at like what a difference this town will be left in when we leave here? We've literally hundreds more saved people than there would have ever been had we not been here. Yeah, and, and look, and it's not just, it's not just the fact that we've been coming here and meeting and going out soul winning. The fact that the word of God's been pre- being preached loud and clear from here. And there's a difference when God looks down on a town with his church there, with the candlestick there, preaching the word of God, preaching it loud and clear. There's going to be a difference, isn't there? Yeah, and I, I reckon if, you know, if the, the Russians invaded... <laughs> They'd probably be just said, just leave South End, you know. Gotta just guide around and be like, is there even anyone there? I don't know, this weird bit of kind of jutted out bit of land, let's carry on in land, yeah. I don't know, something something might change because I think there's a blessing on oh, I'll tell you what, actually, maybe they'd only invade South End and we'd be under a more righteous government. Maybe that would be more likely actually. In fact the rest would be left alone, South End would be Russian and we'd all be laughing. Because at least they'd be banning the Sodomites, because Putin doesn't like all that, does he? But anyway, they're the bogey are they the bogeyman? Yeah, they are the bogeyman. Sorry, I got that wrong. They're the bogeyman. I've got to keep up. But what about, what about when, we, uh, when we do go out soul winning in our new town? Yeah, when we go out and preach the gospel there, yeah, be bold, yeah? Be bold and, and look, like I said last week, be polite, be respectful, but don't be going, oh, oh man, this is going to be awkward now in a new place. They're going to be thinking, what on earth? Because look, the people which sat in darkness saw great light and to them which sat in the region shadow of death, light sprung up. And that's what happens when people of God go out and preach the gospel. That's what happens when people of God plant a church somewhere they're blessed. There's nothing to be ashamed of, is there? Nothing to be ashamed of. And Ephesians chapter 5, where you uh, turn, says from verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's what John the Baptist did. That's what, that's what we're called to do. Yeah, that's what we're called to do, like we just said. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But, and don't forget that. Some people kind of say, quote that verse, and it's kind of like, oh, I better not talk about this. No, no. But, but all things that are approved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Yeah, because we're called to reprove them. Yeah, it's a shame to speak about them, but we should reprove them, shouldn't we? We have to speak about them to reprove them because whatsoever is made manifest, um, that, that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he said, Awake thou that sleepest and arise to the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And we're to shine that light, but that's obviously not like some of these liberal churches, oh, you've got to shine your light by wearing maybe just a sparkly cross and never actually opening your mouth. Or maybe, you know, mentioning God one time, you know, in conversation, I'll just slip the word God in, you know, and then they might one day ask me about church. I'll just kind of mention that I go to a church on a Sunday and then, you know, quickly scuttle off and, mate, you know, if God wants them saved, they're going to ask me more, aren't they? No, that's by opening our mouths and preaching the gospel, isn't it? Okay, that's how we, that's how we make manifest with the light, don't we? The truth, we, we go out and we preach the gospel, preaching it loud and clear, preaching it by, and, and being direct with it and asking people, do you want to know how to get saved? Do you want to know how not to go to hell and go to heaven? And, and there's not really, you know, there's a few different versions of that, but that's ultimately the truth. That's what you're bringing to someone. And yeah, some people like a bit more small talk first, some people don't. But either way, that's what you're looking to say, aren't you? And that's what you're looking to get to, is do you want to know how to go to heaven and not go to hell? And, but but what, what great news that is that we're bringing. There's nothing to be ashamed of with that either. Now, back to verse 17 where we are. It is about going out and preaching the gospel. And that's what we see, verse 17, back in uh, Matthew chapter 4, where it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So... Jesus starts preaching, yeah? Jesus starts preaching and he says, turn from your false religion, from what you're trusting to faith alone, yeah? That's what he's saying here. As is clearly 
apparent when we compare scripture with scripture. So we don't have to be nervous about verses like this. Like, oh, whoa, it does say repent. Because sadly, it's got to the point where the connotations of some idiot walking around going repent. Or you see a statement of faith where they just make this big point of repent, repent, repent. Straight away, sadly, we're thinking, oh man, it's another guy that's basically trying to say the word repent means repent of your sins. Yeah, and, and then we, and then you could get to the point where you're kind of a bit uncomfortable, but there's nothing to be uncomfortable with. Don't let the, don't let the world, don't let the, the wicked false prophets and the work salvationists tell us what that means when the Bible tells us what that means, doesn't it? The Bible makes it clear what that means. You can't just slip of your sins every time you see the word repent, otherwise God is a wicked sinner because he repents more than anyone else in the whole Bible. Yes. Okay, so it's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? And that would be a very sinful God, but the Bible's very clear that he's holy. Yeah, that he's the epitome of holiness that he cannot sin, that Christ who knew no sin, yeah? So, look, again, look at verses like this, because I've seen, I've seen people go, <laughs> what, they don't, repeat, don't believe in repent of your sins? Well, the first thing that Jesus says, the first thing he preaches, no, he didn't preach repent of your sins, he preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, okay? It's ridiculous, isn't it? But... Sadly, that's, that's, you know, they try and grab a verse and, and make it say something else. Verse 18 says, In Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right. So just to make this clear, in case you're wondering, because again, this is a verse that's, that's misused. These guys are already saved. Okay, Andrew for sure is already saved. You know, I, for me, I have no doubt that Peter is as well. But, but we know for sure that Andrew's already saved here. Turn to John chapter 1. Because again, this is another verse used to prop up false doctrine. And the doctrine, a lot of people will call it something like lordship salvation, which I'm sure most of you have heard of. People like to use verses like these and, and the ones following to teach this lordship salvation, where you have to be willing to follow Jesus or some version of, yeah? You have to be willing to give your life to Christ. That's when I gave my life to Christ, you'll hear the Pentecostal say. Yeah, that's when I, I, you know, I chose to do what Jesus says, or I chose to, and some can be a bit ambiguous, that's when I I chose to let him into my heart, or something else. Okay, what do you mean by that? And again, they'll use stuff like this, well, that's when I follow Jesus, that's, and, and for them, that's salvation. But, it depends what they really believe happened. Because if, and again, don't be like, well, someone's saying those words, that means they must be unsaved. Does that mean they're, they're definitely unsaved? It doesn't, but you need to, they need to make it clear what they actually believed happened on that day that they believed they got saved. Did they choose themselves to now give their life to Christ? That's when I started, that's when I knew I was, I'm going to give up all of this, I'm going to do that. Well, that doesn't sound like salvation to me. No. Yeah, because salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. But they might be saying, oh, that, you know, they say some funny terms, then you ask them and they're like, no, it's, it's faith alone, that's just, I, I put my faith in Christ, you know. And then some people, they just need that clearing up because they've heard a lot of false doctrine as well. So just, again, like, be wary of just, like, casting everyone off as unsaved because they've been poisoned by, by, by weird terminology. But let's see what they really believe. And it's quite easy to find out what they really believe, is it? Especially when you preach the gospel, because what, what's the next question? Well, okay, what if you did this? Or what if you do that? And then see what they say. But, okay, so... You've heard this, this make him Lord of your life. And, and something with that, one of the verses which is used for this is the false versions of Romans 10 verse 9. So a great verse of the Bible, yeah, that if thou shalt confess thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But what does the NIV say? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Now notice there's a little difference there, isn't there? You declaring with your mouth Jesus is Lord, again, can be then used to say, well, you've got to decide he's your Lord. He's going to control your life. You're going to do everything he says, etc., etc., or you're not saved. Again, that's not salvation, is it? And, and there are clear salvation verses. Uh, and look, I think everyone here knows clear salvation verses. And, and you, look, if you're out preaching the gospel, if you're out preaching the gospel regularly, you're not going to get at least, and it's not that you're going to lose your salvation, but people will try and just 
put a bit of doubt in your mind or try and just make you feel a little bit unsure, make you not as confident when you then eventually do preach gospel. Maybe, you know, just make you a little bit confused or something else. If you're out preaching the gospel, yeah, and that's your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, then uh, this stuff doesn't, it's like water off a duck's back because straight in your mind it's going to come the hundreds of verses that you preach to people week in, week out, yeah? That's why it's so important to be out preaching the gospel. That's why people that aren't, a lot of the time, even if they're saved, just a bit sketchy, little bit hazy, aren't they? Just a bit like, kind of a bit, sometimes not as confident and sure. Well, and, that, and again, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily definitely unsaved. But clear salvation verses, Acts 16, 30 and 31, you know? That, that says, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I mean, it's such a great verse, isn't it? Such a great verse and, and it can get, I'm not saying it gets old because you use it, so, oh, I want a different one, but, but that verse alone, that verse, you can preach the gospel off that verse alone, can't you? Look, I know, yeah, of course you're gonna go to other verses, but that verse alone just makes it so clear, doesn't it? And so many others, pretty much the whole of John chapter, in fact, pretty much the whole of the Gospel of John, because it was written so men might believe and have life through his name. So, and by believing they might have life through his name, that, you know, that there's so much. Romans, the book of Romans, we've gone through the book of Romans, haven't we, Bible study, and especially like the first half of that book, just verse after verse after verse after verse, just making it so clear that we then don't have to see a verse where someone's saying, follow me, oh, oh, oh actually, do, do you have to follow Christ to be saved? Because that's what the false prophets say. Well, let's have a look at this. So did you turn to John chapter one? We see the first time that Andrew and Peter meet Jesus. John chapter one and verse 35 says, again, the next day after John stood, this is John the Baptist and two of his disciples. Now, this is, like I say, John the Baptist with his two disciples and being his two disciples, okay, that doesn't mean 100% definitely, but remember what John was preaching that we looked at the other day. According to Acts 19.4, it says, Then said Paul, John verily baptised with a baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So that's what John's preaching. These are two of his disciples. So we could assume that they're saved. No, nothing's for sure, because we see those 12 guys that weren't. But look at verse 36. And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Okay, so these guys have heard him speak, they go and follow Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, what seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? They're following him, they're calling him master, they're wanting to be with him. He saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, so one of these two disciples of John's, following Jesus, calling him rabbi, staying with him is Andrew. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Anyone wondering if Andrew is saved here? Okay, for me, the Bible's make it clear he's saved, yeah? And he brought him to Jesus. When Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now, he brings his brother to Jesus and I... Look, some will call that as a picture of like soul winning or whatever else that he's kind of, he's, he's clearly saved. He's saying we found the Christ. He brings him to Jesus. Well, I think he's probably got saved there if he wasn't already. Again, you know, is Andrew at least was one of John's disciples. You don't know about Simon Peter at that point. But look, either way, Andrew for sure is. I believe Simon Peter is as well. Now that was John chapter one. Now jump forward to chapter three. And while you're jumping there, just... Just listen to me. We just read in Matthew 4.12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Okay, that's before we've now then see him find Andrew and Peter. Okay, so before that point, we're still before that point in John's gospel. It's covered this meeting that I've just read to you in chapter one. Then the wedding feast, the Passover in chapter two, Nicodemus in chapter three. Then it says in John three and verse 22, John 3, 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea and there he tarried with them and baptised. And John also was baptised in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptised. So Jesus and his disciples are in one place doing baptisms. John's still doing baptisms in another. For John was not yet cast into prison at this point. So all of this happened before Jesus returns to Galilee and finds Simon. 
Peter meaning stone that he's just said, Cephas, and, and Andrew in, in, in Matthew 4.18. Now go back to Matthew 4.18 with that in mind then. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Because it's one thing getting saved and it's another following Jesus. Okay? It's one thing getting saved, it's another following Jesus. If ye continue my word, then are ye my, my disciples indeed. But he was talking to those that believed on him. Okay? So here, they're saved. At least Andrew, I believe both of them, the way he's talking to them here. And even in the presence of Christ, they've just met Jesus Christ. He's brought Simon Peter to Jesus Christ and they're back fishing. They're back fishing. Like, these guys aren't just following, like, Jesus Christ in the flesh, God in the flesh, is walking amongst them, and they're on their fishing boat, mending nets and stuff. And, what, does it, they must not have been saved. Does that mean they weren't saved? Doesn't mean they weren't saved. How many people do we, do we preach the gospel? They've got a, a, a church in their, they've got a church sometimes literally a minute from their house that's preaching the word of God, that's preaching the gospel, that's going out getting people saved, that's got a ton of people serving the Lord, the light is shining full, and they can't even step foot in here. They can't even come and hear the word of God preached. But does that mean they're not saved? No. Now look, there will be people that aren't saved, yeah? And you are going to run into people that you preach the gospel to, they've said it all, they've done it, said exactly what, what you would expect someone to say you saved, and they might not be saved. That's not a reflection on you, okay? People, look, that's it, it's spiritual. It is a spiritual thing and someone has to believe in their heart, don't they? Okay, but, but there are many that do get saved and there are many that do get saved and don't come here and don't end up being in the word, in the word of God, i.e. Jesus Christ here. But Jesus now says to them, follow me. Okay, so he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, they've just heard now the clear call, okay? And what is the clear thing that he says that following him entails? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say follow me and I will make you the calmest, soft-spoken people ever. <laughs> Did he? He didn't say follow me, I will make you the most unoffensive people anyone will ever know. Yeah, that, that, didn't, seem, that didn't seem to be the main part of following Jesus Christ. Follow me and I will make you popular with everyone. Follow me and I will make you give all your money to homeless drug addicts and alcoholics. Yeah, because that's what a Christian should be doing. Follow me and I will show you how to set up a soup kitchen in your church. Yeah, he didn't say any of that, did he? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, follow me and you will save people. Follow me and I will make you save people. I will show you how to save people. I will show you how to do the best thing you could possibly do as a Christian Amen. and go out and get people saved. Amen. More important than being the, the, the meekest, calmest, most spiritual looking guy or girl around. More important than, than being the, the holiest looking person. More important than getting all that sin out of your life and walking on water. More important than any of that is you follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Amen. Yeah? What could be more important than that? Because there's one way people get saved, isn't there? And that's by people like us going out and fishing. Now, did they say, did they say, well, I need to save up a bit more first, so Jesus. I'm not quite there yet. Just got a few things to sort out in my life first. Just need to sell the fish first, Jesus. In fact, in Luke's account, they get so many fish here that the net breaks, that the boat's sinking, and they still just, like, and he's just giving us more info on this, on this story, and they still just forsake all. They forsake it all. They leave it all because Jesus Christ said, follow me. They heard the clear call of Jesus to follow him to then get people saved because that's what it's about, isn't it? That's what he's saying. And that's why all these so-called Christians around this nation and other places and all these dead churches claiming that they're followers of Christ, if they ain't going out and getting people saved, trying to get people saved, they ain't going out at least learning how to get people saved, they ain't following Jesus. They ain't fo they're not following Jesus because he said if you follow him, he'll make you a fisher of men. 
Oh, well, that was just the disciples. But was it just the disciples? We're going to look at that in a second. Because I'm, I'm telling you now, if you're saved, Jesus is calling you to do the same. Okay? If you're saved, then he's calling you. It's not just certain people. Oh, well, oh, you've got a talent for that. I remember, I think my brother Adam telling me about this once at some false church, where they're going, well, what's your skill? And this lady's going, and then people go, you've got a really good smile. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, that's my ability. I've got a really big smile. No, if you're, and obviously they weren't saved. Look, if you're, if you're saved, go out and preach the gospel. Yeah, learn how to preach the gospel. And look, and you might not, you might not, you know, you might not be that sort of person that's really outgoing. You might find it hard. Maybe you find it harder to get the conversation going in the first place. Maybe you won't get that many people saved. But I'll tell you what, God's still going to use you. Yeah, if you say, here am I, Lord, use me. God's still going to use you. And God's going to give you that ability to get, it might be that you get, if, even if, yeah, say, say you were just so tongue-tied. You just found it so hard. Say you just froze every time you talked to someone. Yeah, you just couldn't remember anything that you had to say. And it went like that for your whole Christian life. And you got one person saved your whole life. You managed to get it together enough and you got one person saved. Is that a shame? No. You got someone saved. Amen. And, and I've said it before, it can feel weird, can't it? In a, not weird, but in a church like this, we're generally getting quite a few people saved. Yeah? And it can, for many, so it will, ultimately, because that's life. It will lose that slight excitement, won't it? But it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing yeah. thing to go out and be used by God and get someone saved. Yeah? But it's what you're called to do. It's what you're told to do. I remember being in a church where, uh, I've said this story before, where they were, so, so in fact, it was this one church, but then I, I can't remember if I'd left there. Uh, but anyway, they were, they were basically giving out these New Testament Bibles. Yeah, 10,000 Bibles, they were praying over it. You know, we're going to put them through every door in Sutton. We're going to get all these people saved by reading the Bible. Funny, because I had actually looked through the front. It didn't look too bad. And I didn't check hard enough, because then when I checked through the back, Sure enough, there was some repent of your sin salvation thing on the back. Even though the, the, the pastor of this church was adamant he did not believe in repent of your sins. Yeah, I mean, he made it clear. So anyway, who knows why he was giving out 10,000 Bibles in the back of them, which apparently were to get people saved, which had a key to them. You know, when you went to this verse, you went to there and it go, turn to Romans 10.9, you know, and turn to Romans 10.13 and all of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway, we, they give out 10,000 of these, and then at the end it tells them to repent of their sins. So, so they're putting them through doors. And then this guy from this other church was kind of getting involved, and, I'd, you know, and I knew him. I'd known him for, you know, I'd been to this church, you know, before, a few years before, and the kind of, you know, there was a few issues with it, but we'd kind of gone back. And I said to this guy, I said, I, you know, and I, honestly, I wasn't doing it, you know, like the kind of cliche, you know, why aren't you preaching God? I, I, I just said to him, you know, you, you could maybe like, you know, maybe when you go down the drive, it could be a good idea, like knock on the door and maybe you might get a chance to preach in the gospel. He said, yeah, I'm not ordained to do that. I said, what do you mean you're not ordained to do that? He said, I, I, I'm not, I, no, I don't believe I'm ordained to preach. I said, if you're saved, you know, and again, I try to do it. I wasn't like, you know, really obnoxious with it. I was just saying, well, you know, I, I do believe that we are. He's going, no, no, no. I think you have to be in a ordained position in the church to preach the gospel. Is that the truth? No. no. What a wicked cop-out that is, isn't it? Well, turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Because if you're saved, you're given the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. If you're saved, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Romans 10.14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Who's that preacher? Is it just me behind the pulpit? Is it? No. Is it only the guy that got brainwashed at Bible college for three years? Oh, no, unless you've done three years of Bible college brainwash, yeah, modelled on the world, yeah, modelled on worldly, you know, academic sort of teachings and, and university degrees and everything else, then you're not qualified to preach the gospel. What a load of nonsense that is. Is it and how shall they hear without someone who's paid a lot to get taught the latest state of quiet Bible, the status quiet Bible college. Is that, is that, is that what it says? No, no. You're that preacher, aren't you? Everyone here, you're yes. saved, you're that preacher. Romans 1.17 says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. 
Amen. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's revealed from faith to faith. It's God's people preaching the gospel, explaining the scriptures. That's how people get saved. That's how God's ordained it. That's how it works. So if it was only people that had gone to some worldly Bible college to be taught whatever, like I said, the latest status quo in Christianity is, whatever the latest teachings are, which generally are just full of heresies, yeah? If that's, if that's the only people, well, there's not going to be many people getting saved, are there? Oh, it's only if you're, you know, you're some sort of role, job, position, evangelist, something else. Again, that's not many people getting saved, but that's not what the Bible says. It's revealed from faith to faith. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, where you are, says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because again, you talk to these people, they go, Well, that was the disciples where it said, Preach the, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Oh, no, but that's the apostles. That, well, let's see what 2 Corinthians 5 14 says. He's not talking to the 12 apostles here, he's talking to the Corinthian church. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Okay? This is, he's talking about all the people that have been saved. Yeah? They which live, the saved. But unto him which died for them and rose again. Not just talking about himself being a, being a preacher of the gospel here. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Okay? Again talking as a plural here about himself and all of them as saved people. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. Everyone likes that bit, don't they? Let's keep going. Verse 18, and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, still talk about the same plural of believers. Yeah, that's a, that's a context here, believers. To us, the ministry of recon reconciliation. Believers have been given the ministry of reconciliation because it goes from faith to faith. Because how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 19 says, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us, still the same context here, is saved believers, the word of reconciliation. We have been committed the word of reconciliation. It is the word, yeah? It's not about explaining in your own words. Yeah. Yes, we do need to explain the scripture, but it needs the word of God, yeah? Now then, continuing. We, again, same context. Saved people. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. Now, he's not talking to the Corinthian church here. The whole, in terms of that's not the people he's saying, we're praying you to be reconciled. He's saying this is what we say to people, us, the believers. We are ambassadors for Christ. So God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. For the unbelievers. For he hath made him to be sin for us. We like the us here, don't we, the we, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Okay, the whole context of that is talking about believers, isn't it? Okay, and what we say then to the unbelievers. Okay, we, plural, you, if you're saved, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you have a lot of free time, whether you don't have much free time, whether you have one child, whether you have 20 children, whatever it is, we all still have the duty to go out and preach the gospel, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. So I don't think there's any doubt that if you're saved, your job is to get other people saved. Okay, there's no doubt about that. Okay, the Bible's clear about that. Now, if you're saved and you're thinking, well, I don't even know how to get someone else saved, then part of that is going out and learning how to do that. And the easiest way, the best way to do that is to just go out as a silent partner at our church. But if you go out as a silent partner, look, if you're... If you're, at the, and you could be, like I've said many times, you could be a silent partner of 15 years, yeah? That's not a problem. You're still going out and getting people saved. But if you're a silent partner, you are learning how to preach the gospel. So please don't go out as a silent partner and have a gas at the end of the driveway with whoever else you might be with. Don't go out as a silent partner and it's like now time to just kind of be in my own world, get on my phone and start doing stuff, surfing the internet, thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow. That's not the point. Yeah? Silent partners should be in prayer 
And if you're silent, there's no reason why not to be in prayer. And don't just, please get saved, please get saved, please get saved. That's not being a silent partner, yeah? Pray for, like, you should be listening, tuning into the conversation and working out what those stumbling blocks might be. And if everything's going well, please, please, if you're a silent partner, pray for those distractions not to come. Pray to be ready to deal with them. Pray for whoever it is. It's usually a lot of time coming in and trying to distract them. And pray for something to happen to them. Pray for something to distract them. Pray for something to get in the way. Pray for that kid's mum or dad not to suddenly turn up. Pray for, you know, pray for all the anything that you can. Pray for that phone to just lose reception because it seems like it keeps going off in their pocket. Yeah, just, you know, pray for practical things. Don't just... Either be praying, yeah, please get saved anyway. Yeah, I really like, you know, their, their driveway and everything else. Like, yeah, whatever it is, look, you, you know, you're a silent partner to learn though as well. And if you're doing that, you're going to be in tune. You're going to be learning. Not, you're not obviously, especially because sometimes you'll have to have twos, threes, fours. Sometimes you'll have someone with kids. There's a silent partner and then all you can hear, you preach the gospel and someone's trying to have a gas with your kids or something. You know, it's like, come on, like this, like, it's an important thing, isn't it? Being a silent partner is an important job. Yeah, pray, be involved, you know, and you'll learn how to preach the gospel. And that's ultimately what you're doing as well, aren't you? You're learning how to preach the gospel. And like I said, there's no time limit on that, but we want you to learn how to preach the gospel. But our job is to get other people saved, yeah? Part of that is going out as a pair. The question is, are you hearing or are you ignoring the call? That's the question, isn't it? To everyone around, to anyone that listens in on this, to anyone sitting here, are you hearing the call or are you ignoring the call? Because, look, the, uh, Andrew and Peter there, okay? Andrew and Peter, they heard Jesus Christ say to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But every single person who's listening to this preaching now has just heard me say, but we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. They've heard me basically say that Jesus Christ, the word of God, is saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's commanding us to do it. Now we can reject that command, and sadly there are Christians the world over that reject and ignore and shut our ears off, but he's commanding every single one of you here, yeah, yeah. to follow him and become a fisher of men. Now, you, like I said, you might be thinking, well, I don't know where to start. Well, then follow him to be made a fisher of men. Yeah, follow him. Follow his word. Listen to how he preaches the gospel in the, in, in the gospels. Gospel of John. Uh, keep reading it through. See how Jesus Christ does it. Listen to other people in, who do it. Read the rest of the word of God. Read clear salvation verses and work out how you would explain them. Yeah, you know, we'll have to explain the same way. Yeah, it should be, look, sometimes, you know, there's a difference in there between just being a carbon copy of someone else and actually thinking, no, I like this verse because this is how I like to explain that, yeah? And as long as you explain the key points of salvation, then, look, you're following him, aren't you? Now, is that okay, Brother Ian? I'll go home and think about it today. Okay, Brother Ian, when I switch off YouTube, you know, I know we've got members that can't make it tonight, or okay, Brother Ian, when I walk out of this building, I'm going to go home and have a little think about how I'll do that. Well, Andrew and Simon heard the call, and what did they do? Straight away, straight away, they threw down the things of the world, didn't they? Verse 20 says, and they straightway, sorry, back in Matthew 4, verse 20, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. Okay, and that's what we should be doing, shouldn't we? If you haven't heard the call, you're hearing it now. And if you, if you have heard the call before, you're still hearing it now. And look, we should straightway, straightway leave our nets, shouldn't we? Straightway, maybe it's your extra hours to, to, to work or earn more money to put into your storehouse, yeah, to lay up more things in your storehouse, yeah, just forsake it, yeah, I'm not saying you have to give up your whole job, but, you know, I reckon you probably can, you can afford to go soul winning, I think you can afford to turn up at church, I think God will make sure that you can, I think you can afford to go out soul winning, I think you can, you can't, you are able to go out soul winning on a Sunday, straightway they left the nets, maybe it's, maybe it's your hobbies, Maybe it's the hobbies that get in the way for people. Yeah, the thing is, if I go on a Wednesday, you know, then I can't, I can't do this. Or maybe if I, if I go on this day, maybe if I go to that soul winning marathon, I don't know, because I'm not going to be able to do whatever hobby it is I like to do on a Saturday. Just straight away, leave it. Your favorite TV shows. That's for, sadly, that's for many, isn't it? That's why they leave straight after Sunday service. Super Sunday. It's so super, isn't it? Watching just some over-hyped, glorified morons 
acting like idiots with rainbow laces kicking a ball around yeah yeah and it's all hyped up and if you weren't staring at the tv you wouldn't even care about it would you because you wouldn't have watched all the adverts telling you what a great game it was going to be when it invariably never is yeah super sunday or whatever else it, and, and there's so much stuff isn't there that gets in the way and then everything else backs up because people are staring at whatever it is all night on netflix or something else and then they don't then they're too tired or then they've got other things on the plate i know i can't come because i've got to do this but what are you doing the rest of the week can't come because i've got to do my study for whatever it is i'm doing my qualification my coursework my schoolwork, or whatever but what you know have you really used your time right what about your unsafe family that want you on a sunday because I tell you what, part of following Jesus Christ is being at church, isn't it? Yeah, part of following Christ is being at church. If you're not at church, invariably, the soul winning is going to drop out in the end, isn't it? Like how many people years ago, four or five years ago, all met up, they're all in, in Woolwich, soul winning, 60-odd people. Where are they all? Where are they all? Where are they all now? Not in church. You think they're soul winning? You think they're meeting up, going, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I don't really fancy that church. They might not fancy it. They might be like, look, I don't want to go to the South and I don't want to go to that church. I don't like the preaching. I don't like whatever. Do you think they're out soul winning? No. No. They might have done for a little bit. Yeah, they probably had a little bit. Because you need to be sent, yeah? How should they preach except they be sent, yeah? Because, look, you need sending sometimes, don't you? Because sometimes your lazy backside doesn't want to go. Sometimes... You, 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 the excuses come out. Sometimes you need someone behind a pulpit saying, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Go out and preach the gospel. Sometimes we need that, don't we? All of us need that. Yeah? And look, where are those people now? I'll tell you what, the vast, vast majority of them aren't preaching the gospel. And that is sad, really. And I'm not like having a go at them. It's sad, really, because what's the result? More people going to hell. Less people getting saved. That's the way it works. And you go, oh, well, God will find it. No, no, we need to go out and preach the gospel. Yeah, that's the way it works. That's the way it works. It's always worked. It's so it's faith to faith. Yeah. Okay. So the unsaved family that want you on a Sunday. Back to that point. And how many people will not be at church on some Sundays, Sunday evening maybe, because the unsaved family have got in the way. The family friend. There's someone. Oh, but you know, we want to do this on a Sunday. How do you think Jesus feels about that? Yeah? How do you think he feels when, it, when you're making whatever excuse it is to not be in his house, not listening to his word preached, not going out and preaching the gospel? Oh, well, Sunday morning, but not Sunday evening. Yeah, because what? Oh, well, I've got stuff to do. Oh, well, look. But again, you, are you, is that person, do you think, out there just burning up the streets, preaching the gospel every, every minute they're, they're able to? Are they really making time for it? No. They're not. So, what did they do? Straight away they left their nets and followed him. Leave your nets and follow him. Yeah, that's what we should all be doing. Verse 21 says, And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the, left the ship and their father and followed him. And sometimes that's what following the Lord results in, doesn't it? Yeah? Sometimes it results in having to leave family members sometimes you have to leave them behind sometimes you have to move you have to move away from them sometimes a distance has to be made because they will pull you back into the world they will pull you back into Egypt and they want to don't they don't they try their best to do that and and when you think about it isn't it wicked really and we try and get up while they probably don't really they try they want to pull you back they know what they do do you have to go this Sunday or do you have to do this or really like, oh, what, you have to go all the time? What, a whole Sunday? What, a midweek? Midweek service? Oh, what, a soul-winning marathon? Like, you know, what's wrong with you? What sort of cult is this? What sort of... They all try it, don't they? They all try it. And what happens to, to, to their father here? Well, James and John heard the call. They chose Jesus above their father, didn't they? And, and by the way, that's the only time that we see their father in person in the Gospels. So they're mentioned because that's the way they're, they're recognised as the sons of Zebedee. We don't see Zebedee again, unless I'm wrong there. I, I, I haven't seen him mentioned anywhere else. Well, other than, you know, reference to them being the sons of Zebedee. Now, can you imagine, though, <laughs> turn to Luke chapter 12. Like, Zebedee here, they're mending their nets. He called them. They're with their father, mending nets at this point. They're probably like holding one end, like the other guy's probably holding the other. Zebedee's mending it and they just drop it. And he's like, whoa, whoa. And they're like, we're off. See you later, Dad. 
You know, like that was probably quite, quite, quite hard for him. I can imagine him calling out, you useless sons, what sort of sons are you? But who comes first? The Lord. The Lord comes first, doesn't he? They're in a business with their father. Yeah, they've left their father in their business. And look, that, could be, that could be hard for people, can't it? I bet a lot of people here, there's, there's, you, you can see kind of parallels in your life there where maybe you'd find that really hard to leave that unsaved family member to follow Jesus. And look, I'm not saying you have to never talk to them again. I'm not saying you have to cut them out of your life. That's it. That's not, that's not what you're saying here. But when you choose to follow Jesus, that means leaving behind the world, doesn't it? Yeah. Because invariably, if they don't get saved, that gap's going to widen like this, isn't it? And that's what happens. But you have to be prepared for that, yeah? You know, and, and well, look at Luke 12. We're going to see that. Because verse 51 says, Luke 12, 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And that's what the truth does, doesn't it? That's what the truth does. Now, you're not going to get that down at the wishy-washy non-denom church, are you? You're not going to get that separation when you're going once a week to the new evangelical and you're going along and everything else is normal other than that, that two hours that you're in church, if you're even there for two hours, because the sermonette will probably only be 20 minutes long and you probably have a, you know, a couple of nice worldly hymns, a little 20-minute talk, and then afterwards you can have a tea and biscuit, go home, tick the box, done church, I'm a Christian. Is that separation going to come? Is there going to be division? from going down the non-denom, from going down the charismatic, from any of that? No. Where, why does it come? Why did Jesus, and when he says, he, you go, but did he say peace on earth? Yeah, peace on earth between, between men and God through salvation, through the reconciliation that comes from Jesus Christ's blood, but not peace between men. That's not what he came to bring. He said, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth, there should be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. And, and again, look, the truth is it's not automatic your family's going to get saved. It's not automatic. It's not, you can't just assume. And, and, and when I'm talking about father, look, you should assume that with your kids. Okay, you should. If your kids, you know, are, are young enough, and look, when I say young enough, because the older they get, the harder it's going to get. Yeah, they're going to get poisoned by the world. But if you preach them the gospel young, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about when you start hearing the gospel when you're older, kids are hearing it older, family members are hearing it older. There's no guarantee there, is there? And it's a sad truth, but it's something that you have to deal with. And then it comes to the point where it's like, what, am I going to be pulled back by my unsafe family? Am I going to be poisoned by them? Am I going to have them ruining my kids? Am I going to have them whispering to them, being a bad influence? And I'm not saying you have to cut them off, but you have to be aware of what, what is it that, you know, what are they saying to your kids when you're not there? What are they trying to poison, put in your kids' heads? What are they, you know, what are they, are they undermining you? Are they undermining your faith? And that's why the father should be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against their mother-in-law. And why? It's not just the gospel, it's the truth that comes with the word of God as well, isn't it? And the more you start living for God, the more they start to, to be divided against you, don't they? Yeah. Okay, and, and it's, it's a sad truth, but that shouldn't stop us, should it? And that could be a temptation for some, can't it? Temptation to go back or to just live it. Well, okay, well, maybe I'll just cut down church a bit. Maybe, maybe I'll kind of go back to the worldly clothes when I'm with them. Maybe I'll go back to the worldly music and the worldly ways when I'm with those family members because, you know, we want to be, you know, we've got to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world. Yeah, so maybe I need to appeal to them. No, that's not how it works, does it? No. Yeah? You, look, live for God, live for Christ, follow Jesus, and you'll become fishers of men. Yeah, and that is the ultimate thing, isn't it? And that's why we want to then go to heaven and, and see that tally of all those people. Can you imagine all those people? Imagine all those people that you've been, you got saved just since this church began. When you go to heaven and they're like, and, and they're coming up to you and shaking your hand and saying, praise God, you know, you, you went out and you did what God told, me to, told you to do. And that's going to be a great time, isn't it? That's going to be a great reunion, isn't it? And just to think, wow, yeah, you know, those people got saved. And yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah, I'm sure they're going to be 
more looking forward to seeing Jesus Christ. So we should be more looking forward to that than the, uh, than the people we got saved. But it's going to be a good time, isn't it? It's going to be a great time, a great time rejoicing up there. Well, look at verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Look, he did some amazing things, Jesus Christ, as well. And we're going to go into some of this, obviously, in later chapters. But it wasn't just, oh, he's just preaching the gospel. He, he, was, he was showing who he was. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was doing miracles. He was healing the sick. He was healing all these sorts of diseases. No one could do this except for God himself. And verse 24 says, And his fame went through all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Now, palsy is paralysis, lunatic is madness. Apparently it was thought to be affected by the moon as well. I know some people that seem to be a bit affected by the moon. Sometimes you knock on their doors, they seem like they howl at the moon at night, don't they? But uh, not always. Sometimes we uh, just just quickly because we were talking about this earlier. We we just had like this. You ever go in a place where it's like it was like the sun was just shining on it. Yeah, uh, we we gone there last week as someone had got saved, and then we went there this week and about the second door, and everyone was just friendly. Everyone was happy. Happy rejections. Happy just for you to knock on their door. Oh no! Oh don't! Well, no, not in, not really into church. See ya. You know that sort of thing. Oh, this is weird, yeah. And and then we were laughing because because then like there's this young girl. She 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 got saved and 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 even like t- talking to the, young, the the dad's like, oh yeah yeah well yeah yeah you you could preach. I'm just gonna leave the door on the latch. You know, it's like, cool. Yeah, because <laughs> usually when you preach to young kids, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get some grief in a minute. And everyone's just happy. The kids are happy. That, you know, and then, and then even, even the Sodomites were happy. Even, <laughs> it was that bizarre that even two Sodomites came past. Even they wanted to hear the gospel. Obviously, they didn't get saved, and they started telling us how much they, uh, well, they, 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 they were basically saying, you know, how great the devil was by the end of it, and just proving what wicked, vile sodomites they really are. But they did it with a smile. They even shook hands after. They were like, see, yeah, you know, and all of this. Everyone was just happy in this place, yeah. It was a bizarre place. But anyway, point being that, look, going out preaching the gospel isn't always, it doesn't always have to be like, oh, man, it's so stressed. Sometimes you do just get these times, don't you, where you just get this area, like, it's just this happy little estate where everyone was just happy. And, uh, and then someone else got saved after as well, I think, and it literally just a few doors and a couple more salvations and... And no, I'm not giving the address to anyone else because I'm going there next week. It's mine. It's all mine. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, that face is good. But, um, but then next, next road down and people are like, man, I'm getting door slams in my face, you know. And it's just a funny little area. Just you get that. But anyway, point being that, yeah, there are some lunatics, but some people, some people are still happy and some people are still even polite in this, in this uh, world. And, uh, polite to even be offered the gospel and here Jesus Christ's fame went throughout all Syria didn't it we see that there he said he said his fame went throughout all Syria Syria which was by, by the way the bordering country on the east of Galilee so yeah there were probably Jews there but look it went throughout all Syria okay so people were just hearing about Jesus Christ far and wide verse 25 and they followed in great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan so they're basically coming in from all around yeah they're coming from all around hopefully and we've already seen that already here haven't we We've got people coming from all around, people coming from not only this nation, but all over Europe who are coming to this church at times. And, and they're, coming, they're coming to hear the word of God preached, aren't they? They're coming to be around other saved people, to be around the light, you know, that, that dwells within every single saved person here. They're coming to be in a church that's going out and preaching the gospel. And that's going to continue. We're just going to keep doing things properly. Jesus Christ here. They followed him. Great multitudes of people from all over. And, um, and we're going to see then what he starts preaching to them in the next chapter. And uh, that for me, that's a great chapter of scripture. But, but really, what's the overriding message in, those, in that second half that we've just, read, we've just gone through there? Preach the gospel. Yeah? 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 Follow me and I'll make you fish some men. That, that, that's the command there, isn't it? Follow him. And ultimately the main thing there. And yeah, we don't want to neglect the rest of it. Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, well, as long as you preach the gospel, then live in absolute carnal wickedness the rest of the time. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the ultimate thing for a Christian is to be preaching the gospel, yeah? And that's what we should all continue to do, whether when you get those hard times and you get times and you start to feel like you shouldn't, that's the time to go out and preach the gospel, yeah? On that, let's pray.
Father, thank you for a great chapter of the Bible there. Thank you for making it clear that, you know, that, that with just a little bit of study that we can see that, that, you know, at the least we know that Andrew, I, I, I would say Peter, I would say James and John as well, these are saved people and you're, you're, you're telling them, you're, you're commanding them to follow you to then go out and get people saved. And that's what you want all saved people to do. That's what you're commanding all saved people to do. But whether or not they hear that command and then that they respond to that command, that really comes down to them. And we pray that, that all those people that, that come here will respond to that command. But also those people that were getting saved, that they will also respond to that command as well. And it might not be straight away. It might not be in, in the next year or two. But, but hopefully we're praying that, that they will do in years to come, that they'll want to tune in to preaching. And they might have to go into the spiritual wilderness a bit like many of us did when we were first saved. And, and it might take them a while to come back to sound biblical preaching, to the Word of God, to the King James Bible, to, to, to you know, clear, clear preaching with the whole counsel of God being preached and, and we pray that when they do when they come back to that and, and hopefully they will come back to that that they'll then feel convicted as well to go out and preach the gospel so we just end up with an army of soul winners in this nation and that everyone we get saved will encourage to do the same we'll encourage them to come to church we'll encourage them to get baptized we'll encourage them to follow you and and we pray that that we'll we'll do that going forward now going into this weekend that we'll all return safely and sadly on Sunday, not only to come to church, but also, also to go out and preach the gospel for the last couple of times in Southend for probably a long time. Help us to just um, to finish, finish off here with, with many more salvations, to really leave this town in a much better state than when we first started here. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.